Okay, what is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Breaking Ground Podcast. I'm Mike Gregg, and today I'm excited to have Ryan Deemer with us. Ryan, how you doing? I'm good, Mike. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, you're welcome, and I'm glad to have you here. Uh, if you're not familiar with Ryan, Ryan owns Skid Steer Nation, uh, and he's pretty well known in the community. I'm sure that uh, many of you are going to be familiar with him. But Ryan, for those who aren't, could you give us just like the high-level overview of who you are uh, and what you do? Yeah. So like you said, like we have Skid Steer Nation, and Skid Steer Nation is an online dealer for American-made, high-quality skid steer attachments. So we only work with family-owned manufacturers in the U.S., not large corporations and nothing imported from overseas. So we always say that we did the homework for you, that we've already vetted mm -hmm. the manufacturers, checked the quality processes, the warranty, customer service, and we only partner with the ones that meet our standards. So kind of the goal was to simplify it for buyers so they can just say, hey, if Skid Steer Nation has it, we already know it's good quality. So you don't make Skid Steer attachments. Um, you... Tell, tell us a bit about that. Do you make them or are you exclusively um, sort of a distributor or a, or, or a retailer? Yeah, no. So my background is actually I ran a company called Do More Equipment for 10 years. I was the GM president, whatever title you want to call it. So we manufactured skid steer grader attachments for skid steers and then a few other things and a large aggregate spreader for bulldozers. And just in my time in those 10 years, I just noticed that a lot of family-owned manufacturers like the shop manager was the salesman. They don't have a marketing mm -hmm. team. And it was very hard for people in the industry to find these companies and their products were far superior than uh, the large corporate companies. Um, take CL Fabrication in Iowa, for example, their Dominator tree puller, it's laughable how, how stout that thing is. Like you will break your skid steer before you break that attachment. And like, they just didn't have a lot of visibility. So we, I had the idea of creating a, like an online store that partnered with those manufacturers to get more exposure for them. So no, we do not manufacture anything. We're just a dealer, just like you'd find down the street from your house, except we're online. That's really cool. I, I, I know that a lot of people, um, you know, they favor American made stuff and yet there's a lot available now from China. You can buy mini excavators now I've seen little 17s that show up in a 10 foot square sea can and and you know you can kind of get almost anything you need so what would you say is the primary advantage of of buying from a local manufacturer is it going to be mostly that you're you know you're supporting uh, supporting your own country keeping your dollars local or is it quality or both or more what what would you say to somebody who's who's on the fence about buying some cheap foreign stuff versus going through you well I think it's twofold one, if you look at it from the perspective of the customer buying it, a majority of our customers own excavation companies. So the investment into a higher quality product is going to minimize downtime, minimize breakage, allow them to work longer, more efficient, so they could actually create a better return on investment and put more money in their pockets. And then the second thing for me was most of these guys are small business owners. So isn't it nice to support other small businesses in the United States? For sure. Yeah, I know for myself, I I have never ever regretted purchasing a quality tool. You know, I bu I buy Milwaukee myself. All my hand tools are Milwaukee, and I I've never bought a good tool and thought, "Geez, what a waste of money." <laughs> it's never yeah. happened. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's. I mean, I think our parents raised us right. You get what you pay for. A hundred percent. Yeah. So a little bit. Let, let's go into the background a little bit. You you started because you saw a need to kind of collect these smaller local manufacturers and make high quality products. 
how long have you been around? And um, maybe give us a little bit of a lay of the land. Do you have a storefront? Do you primarily work online? Uh, kind of just the high level of, of your business and how it operates. Yeah. So like I said, I worked for Dumore Equipment for a long time. And then that company was actually being sold um, uh, like a fab shop that that did work for other manufacturers, wanted the building and the space. So the sale also included the company. So they took that over and I was like, I think I'm going to part ways. Like I was unsure if they're going to micromanage or how the, the leadership team was going to be. And I, I, did, I wasn't mm -hmm. up for a transition like that. I had so much autonomy before I kind of ran it as if it was my own business. So I went to go work for a friend doing um, VP of business development and sales for an engineering and machining company. We did a lot of work with OEMs, creating tooling for their facilities. And then COVID hit and we were set up for long-term growth, very heavy in upper management and leadership to drive the direction of the company. So like the mm -hmm. CEO, myself, the high-end shop manager and a few others, they, they let us all go during COVID so they could stay lean and survive because nobody knew what to expect, right? Like, is it going to last a month? Is it going to last a year? So I just remember sitting at home going, you know, I've owned businesses all through my 20s and into my 30s. And I was like, it's time for me to take that idea of Skid Steer Nation and turn it into a reality. And that way I can dictate my own life from, from here moving forward. Nobody can tell me when I can and cannot make money ever again. Mm -hmm. And this, so this has only existed for three years? Yeah, March 2020. Wow. And do you, so how many manufacturers would you say you work with? Like I, I, it is, it's not clear to me how many companies in the United States make skid steer attachments. There's an enormous amount of companies. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> I mean, I can think off the top of my head of at least 30 companies in the U.S. that make them. I mean, you got to remember a lot of these companies like specialize in grapple buckets only, or like yeah. there's the rake shop in Florida. Like all they make is like some sort of a rake or a grapple. Um, but I think we have about, eight or nine manufacturers that we're partnered with right now. Okay. And do you um, facilitate the deal? Uh, how, how does the, the kind of sales process work from your end? Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, one of the complaints we always heard back when I was at Do More Equipment was that nobody has their prices online, right? So if you're looking to buy equipment, it was very difficult. You, you had to fill out a form or you had to call the company. And like, these guys are working. They're like, just show me the number. So like for us, the, the storefront was nice because like we're very transparent. Here's the cost. Here's the upgrades. Here's the flat rate shipping fee. You don't have to speak to a person. You can see exactly what's going to cost you. And then, you know, and our, our value add to the manufacturers is like, hey, we'll sell your products. And then if we don't have it at our location, we have, a, we don't carry a lot of equipment ourselves. So we usually ship direct from manufacturer to the customer. So then for sure. us, we handle all of the shipping, the BOL the tracking, the transit, everything. Also, all, we, all they have to do is print out the BOL, put it on the attachment, truck picks it up and it leaves. So it just kind of streamlines their process too. So we don't add more steps to their business. Sure, yeah. And shipping direct from the manufacturer, that's common. I mean, Amazon does that. Uh, yeah. Not always. I mean, they have warehouses too, but there's. I've been involved with a business that sells their products on Amazon, but then it's sort of uh, shipped direct from the manufacturer. So... That's interesting. So you've been at it for three years. You're sort of, are you actively looking for new manufacturers all the time? Do you have like a list of, um, of attachments that you want to be able to fulfill? Cause there, there are hundreds, probably thousands of skid steer attachments, right? I've seen 
firewood splitters to machines that transplant large trees and you know paving specific equipment like there's so much out there so what is kind of the the longer term outlook for you are you going to be the one-stop shop for um american-made attachments or so I, I toil with this quite a bit like do we just stay in our lane and, and work with you know like primarily dirt pipe attachments you know have a few accessories or other other attachments that work in other areas or do we start getting into like the paving equipment and all those other stuff and then the other thing we think about a lot is we don't offer anything for excavators and with the mini excavator industry booming and then even the mid-size like the 306 309 market booming like could we create almost a excavator nation and, and have a sister company that specialized in those. Um, so there's a couple different things that we've looked at doing moving forward in the future. We just haven't really like set the defined path yet for us. Yeah, I like the excavator idea. I think that's that's got a lot of potential because I think for, you know, I inter interview some of these small business owners regularly and that's the one of the main sticking points for people is, well, do I buy a skid steer uh, and then get some attachments to perform, you know, get a trencher, maybe get a, you can even get an excavator attachment for a skid steer or do I buy, do I buy an excavator with a, you know, with a super wide bucket and and some attachments. And we actually just had uh, a couple on uh, the episode was just released last night, Ron and Leanne Bilo are their names uh, out of uh, Missouri. And they started their business small and they've been kind of collecting attachments rather than buying more and more power units. Um, attachments are sort of a, a less expensive way to expand your service offerings. Um, that's something I kind of wanted to go into as well. So I know people kind of in both lanes. I know people that have a lot of equipment that is very specialized. And then people who kind of go, I've got a skid steer, you know, I might have a, an $80,000 skid steer and then $100,000 worth of attachments. Um, do you have any opinion on, you know, for small business owners, which, in, which is kind of the better way to go and why? I mean, I don't think there's a, a, a an exact answer that works for everybody when it comes to this. Um, I've had people that were starting a business that they had access to the capital. They had customers lined up and buying the equipment, like the capital equipment and the attachments made sense. And then I've talked to a lot of, a lot of people that were just starting out, you know, and I'm like, Hey, instead of spending 80 grand on a skid steer or an excavator, go spend $20,000 on some attachments. Mm -hmm. And then just rent the machine until you get to a point where ownership makes sense. Um, because a lot of times if you go rent equipment, the attachments may not be available that you need for the job that you're specializing in. So, you know, if you go out and buy a four blade grader attachment for redoing parking lots, driveways, roadways, you know, rough grade, final grade, like it may not be available when you need it from the rental yard. Mm -hmm. but the skid steer will always be available. So then you've got your own attachment. You got the skid steer. You can kind of go do your own thing. So that's a concept that is completely new to me. Um, invest in attachments and rent uh, the power unit. I, I've never thought about that. Um, when you rent uh, a machine from uh, United Rentals or whatever, what have you, would you expect that machine to um, have auxiliary hydraulics and be able to run uh, equipment up to a certain point or? Well, I mean, you look at most attachments, I would say 80 to 90% of them don't require auxiliary hydraulics i mean you've got stump grinders if it's got the six way on it you've got you know if it's only got one cylinder to perform one task it doesn't have an auxiliary so anything with a flat face couple will work on it um but again like you could rent a high flow machine which those should have you know if you buy the 
So maybe not the specialized attachments, because like a lot of those with mm -hmm. the, the wiring harnesses are going to need to be wired for the specific manufacturer. But if you have an, an in with a specific type of work, like if you're doing um, yeah. residential water lines, I mean, there's no reason you couldn't buy a trencher know, a trencher that can trench a four inch ditch and and then rent the machine for doing cleanup or whatever. That's an yeah. interesting thought. I've I've never even considered that. I, I would always have thought that the machine comes first. I think it's a very low cost way to break into the market if you're looking into getting into excavation like like so you work for a crew you're getting tired of the way it's going and you want to start your own business cash is king mm -hmm. hold on to the hold on to your capital and your ability to to rent and bar to borrow against it till you really have proof of concept with your business i mean let's be honest you buy a trencher for seven grand you use it for a year you can still sell it for five yeah like what you know it's not like you not like you're out seven thousand yeah yeah no that's fair but now um, you don't have a six hundred thousand dollar a month payment yeah yeah the, the payments on machines are crazy i find it interesting that more people don't rent um i i again i talk to a lot of people in the industry that are starting out and, and somewhat established and a lot of people just boom they go buy the machine and it's like okay i got this payment it's go time and uh would you advocate for renting in your opinion so until you prove the concept, absolutely. So we work with, because in addition to selling attachments, Mike, and we also do consulting work for business owners. And I can't tell you how many guys like, oh, I got to buy a 309 cat so I can start doing demo work. And I'm like, do you have any demo jobs lined up? He's like, no, I can't get them until I get the excavator. And I'm like, uh, yes, you can. Like you could go get four scheduled for the rest of the year to prove that demolition is the right niche for you before you drop 60, 100, 150,000 on a machine. You know, like what's wrong with picking up four of those jobs using a rental excavator, minimizing your profit margin a little bit, but proving to you that the investment in six figures into equipment makes sense for where you're going. Yeah, I, I wanna circle back to the business consulting because I do wanna talk about that, but, um, to your point that you just made about equipment, I, I think that this is something that I've come across with uh, our uh, website and marketing clients a few times. Uh, don't put that on the website. We don't have that or we're not equipped to do that or whatever. Well, is it, I kind of talk in terms of, is it something that you want to do, right? Because it's the same thing, just because you don't have the machine, like the only people who really have a, a their finger on the pulse of what's going on are, are typically your competitors and other people in the industry, right? But especially for people who are working for residential clients, they have no idea. All they know about your business is what you tell them. And if you show up with a Sunbelt rentals machine and an attachment or a 160 that has a different name, they, they don't really know, right? And, and I think that it, it helps a lot to kind of get beyond that space where it's like, well, I don't have this. I mean, you kind of do, right? Because there's there's rental shops, there's local contractors with machines that that are sitting that would happily rent out. And there's just, there's so many options for people when you're willing to kind of think outside that box. Yeah, we have, we have a guy, actually a friend of mine just lives down the street from me. When he, when he broke into the market two years ago, he was debating on a mini X or a skid steer. And his neighbor was an exec at Caterpillar and he owned a, I think it was a 289. And he's like, I'll just rent it to you for $55 an hour on the meter. So if he runs it an hour a day, it's $55, like not a day rate. It was an hourly rate. So he went and yeah. bought a mini excavator because he couldn't, you know, he's like, I don't need a skid steer if I can get that whenever I need it. It yeah. was a very smart decision to get started. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so you mentioned business consulting. I, I would like to touch on that because um, 
Uh, I just want to think through how I want to say this. Uh, excavation is its own skill, right? Uh, digging holes, backfilling, compaction, uh, knowledge about materials and soils and local laws, that, that's a skill, right? And running a business is a different skill. And where do you come into that equation? Um, yeah, so everything that so when I would talk to these customers calling in about attachments, I just found a common trend that we'd always get into a business conversation about mm -hmm. some sticking point in their business, whether it be employees, marketing, payroll, it doesn't matter. Um, so we just kind of got into the point like, hey, you guys are skilled operators in the field. You know how to do the actual work, but a lot of them have never owned a business before or they don't make take the time to do what's on the backside. So like I always say, we're a tool to help you when you're not in the field, but like, you know, you specialize in building websites and marketing. Mm -hmm. Well, that marketing's worthless if the estimates and the sales process aren't dialed in because you're just you're just spending money on those leads to only have a 20% close rate. Mm -hmm. So who teaches them how to create better estimates? Who, who helps them learn high ticket sales for large projects? You know, who helps them structure the bookkeeping on the back end or. Uh, so far, you and <laughs> you yeah. and Reese Alley. Yeah, <laughs> he, he was on the first episode of my podcast and he does some some similar stuff, some business training. But yeah, that I, I think that's needed and not just in excavation, but in in a lot of industries, uh, people, everybody wants to work for themselves now. And I applaud that. I'm an entrepreneur. I have a small business, uh, but the the skills to run a business, it's challenging, right? I think we all get caught in that place where you're in your business. You know, you're yeah. doing the 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 busy work of the business instead of stepping back and running the business, you know, working on it versus in it type of thing. And with excavation, it's hard because when you're new, you're only making money when you're in the seat, right? So that means all of your your marketing, your your estimating, your billing, your all your back end work is gonna happen a lot of times evenings and weekends. And and how much attention are you giving it then? Is it just rushing through so you get back to the family? or to have a day off because you've been grinding seven days a week, or are you fully committed and focused on that work at seven o'clock at night after you did a 12 hour day in the field? Yeah, and, and that's valuable. There's value there for anybody, uh, even the one man show who wants to stay that way because not everybody wants to grow and have a huge company, right? Some people, they wanna make their one, two or 300 grand a year, have a couple machines and and just live their life like that. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge proponent, I say it, I probably say it in almost every episode we do in our podcast, but success is the level of life that you want to live. Like just because mm -hmm. the guy down the street wants 40 employees and 16 machines, that's his version of success. You working by yourself, owning your equipment outright, making enough money to support your family and save for retirement. If that's your version of success, I'll help you get there. Like there is no yeah. standard of like what you need to have to be successful. I think we we create this constant pursuit by moving the goalposts. I don't meet a lot of people, and I, I myself, I'm super guilty of this because I don't live in success. You know, I, I have goals uh, for my life. So one of them was I, I wanted to become a pilot. So I went out, I got my pilot's license, and the second I learned how to fly an airplane, it was like, okay, what's next? What's what's I don't I didn't live in the success of you know this enormous task that I just learned how to do. Um, I sort of dabble in stand-up comedy. Same thing. I want to get in front of 300 people. I got in front of 300 people and it was like, okay, what's the next thing? I got to get on the next thing right now. Like this, this, hu this hustle culture exists where 
we don't take much time to bask, if you will, in, in what we have accomplished. And it just seems like as soon as you reach a success, as soon as you get that milestone, it's like, well, where can I put the goalposts now? Yeah. And I just think that we are inundated with very targeted ads meant to hit you on a psychological level and then social media showing you everybody's perfect life that, that no matter what we do, we always feel like it's not good enough for the guy down the road is doing it better. So we've got to improve. Yeah. We don't take time to just go, man, I've really grown a lot the last three months, year. And having, you know, having like taking time to make goals that align with your priorities as a human being and your family's priorities and sort of where you want to go, because it's, it's often just about money, right? You hit that six figures a year and you go, okay, well now I'm there. So now what's next? Now it's going to be half a million or it's going to be a million. And it's just, it's hustle, hustle, hustle. And I find in my life that simplification is at this point, you know, I, I'm just, just short of 40 is far more rewarding. Like I just, I just, <laughs> I just bought a 95 Volvo and I love this car. Like I found one with, it's got 88,000 kilometers on it. Like there's nothing to it. And this car makes me so happy. And, but there are times uh, when I, you know, I pass by my neighbor's place, he just bought a brand new uh, quad cab Cummins and I'm like, oh, he sees me driving this well, but I love this car. Like I love it. And it just brings me so much joy to drive this car. Yeah. No, you're right. And like, I've, I've got an F-350 and it's a couple of years old. And I, I can't tell you how many times in the last six months I've thought about selling it and just buying like either an old CJ7 Jeep, like bare bones from the 70s and 80s, or like getting an old oh, 1500 yeah. truck from that same time frame. Just like, why do I need all of the amenities? In a, I, I'm in the car an hour a day. Yeah. But. Yeah. So we're, we're always kind of looking for more. And, and I yeah. just found that for me that walking that back and instead of more finding, investing in things that align closely with who I am as a person. Yeah. So in business, you know, in, in purchases and how I use my time. Yeah. And one of the things that's been really helpful for me because I'm not money motivated, like at my core, like I don't wake up in the morning going, I'm going to go make a thousand or $10,000 today. Like it's just, I'm not wired that way. So some days we, like I'm on fire and work's going great and like we're crushing it. Sales are coming in. And then other days I'm just like, I just want a zero day. So I've had to change my mindset to actually be like, I want to help X amount of customers achieve their goals. And now the money's the byproduct. Like helping you get the right attachment to go do your jobs and be, be a better excavator. <laughs> Com, you know, business owner and have a higher quality customer satisfaction for your business. I now make, I'm kind of making that my goal. Like, Hey, I want to talk, I want to help three excavator owners today with their business. And then if we sell attachments, that's just the byproduct of helping them become better owners. I love that. That's uh, that's good advice. Um, so let's, uh, let's talk marketing. Real quick, we kind of touched on on something that I it, it connected with me. You mentioned having pricing on the website. Yeah, um, this is something in my industry, being in marketing, that is a common uh, point of debate. Right? If somebody goes to your site, they see that your services are fifteen hundred dollars a month, or your attachment is six thousand dollars. Then they have the opportunity to go, "Oh, that's too expensive," and leave before you have a conversation with them. Versus uh, companies who um, don't advertise their pricing and you are forced into a conversation 
uh, before you get the opportunity to learn what their products cost. I, I'm just interested in, in that. What is your opinion on that? So if you have to get on a phone call and talk them into affording your services, like they're already hesitant. So like, what's the lifetime value of that customer going to be? Are they going to stick around for 60 days, 120 days? How they rarely stick around for 365, right? But if yeah. you have so much value that they're like, God, I'm only, I'm, I'm only paying $1,500 for this. This is a no brainer. So to me, I'm always like, how do you give so much value that the price seems insignificant? Yeah, because in my one of the things, one of the things business owners and I'm sure yourself included, I know I I catch myself doing it, and I know excavation company owners do it. We shortchange the communication. Like we do our job every day, we start not explaining the little details that actually have value to the end user that you're selling the service or product to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true, and and that is the the piece that people are looking for, right? And and as a consumer. I'm like immediately pissed off if I can't just find out how much it costs because that's the piece of information I'm looking for. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to get on a, a 20 minute long phone call with you. Yeah. But like you look at excavation companies, I can't tell you how many companies we've worked with that I go, what's your guarantees? Like, oh, we don't do any guarantees. Like, I'm like, so if you redid a driveway and it washed out three weeks later, you wouldn't go fix it? And he's like, well, yeah, I would. And I'm like, well, that's a guarantee. Just put it on paper so that the customer feels good about giving you money to do the work. Mm -hmm. Like figure out what you'd already do and then just find a way to outline it and show the customer and don't let them assume or have to question it. Be like in every way that you can, don't be hostile towards your potential yeah. customers. I mean, if you look at why Amazon has succeeded and grown to the point it is Amazon just opened a warehouse about five kilometers from me and their little vans are always buzzing around. So I'm constantly thinking about Amazon and what they're doing, but they since day one they always put the client first right they their number one value yeah they how hard is it to return something to amazon not only do you not get questioned about why you're returning it i mean it's just a simple click i, I didn't like it whatever it doesn't work it doesn't meet my expectations mike could you imagine dominating a market to the point that your competitors agree to be a return hub for you like kohl's like you have to go to yeah. Kohl's to return your Amazon stuff. And I'm like, it baffles me. I have to walk into a store selling the same stuff. And they agreed to be the return hub for Amazon. That's nuts. Yeah. Here, here where I am, they, they don't do it all the time. I think it depends a lot on how busy they are, but they will actually pick up your returns from your house. They have a, a third party that just goes around picking up returns. And I'm like, for, for my money, you cannot possibly do much better than that. Like, right. you don't question me on why I'm returning it. You give me a full refund with no questions asked, even if the box is damaged and whatever. Um, so how can you take that and apply it across other industries? Like I, the, the couple I mentioned earlier, Ron and Leanne Bilo, uh, who were on the podcast uh, recently, it's all about the customer for them. So the, the client is going to get the best possible job they can get. So I asked him about in excavation, there's this thing called while you're here, you know, you got to make sure, well, while you're here, pull the stump out, you know, while you're here, maybe I can get you to do oh, this. Yeah. And I asked him about that. I said, well, what do you do when you're you're on a job, you know, you're, you're replacing a driveway or what have you, doing drain tell, it doesn't matter. And, and the customer says, you know, while you're here, go, go pull those couple stumps out. And do, you, do you hand them a new bill for another $100? He says, oh, no, no, if it takes less than, half an hour or whatever, I, I just go do it. He said, it's so worth it to have that, uh, have that recommendation from that customer and have that person, because you've taken that from, they did the job 
than I expected them to do, which is literally what everybody expects, right? Like doing a good job is not exceptional service. Doing a good job is what yeah. every time you hire a service person, you're expecting that they will do a good job. So them doing a good job, that to me is like four out of five stars. You've done a, you've done exactly what you said you'd do. That's great. Yep. You did not go above and beyond and offer anything extra. And there's nothing wrong with that, but I just feel like there's so much room for companies to improve on an experience. You know, I could, off the top of my head, I could think of 10 ways that a small excavation contractor could enter a market and improve on what's currently being done. Oh, absolutely. And here's the kicker. They already know what can be done. They just don't know how to verbalize it. We do role-playing all the time with, with company owners on like customer interaction and communication. And it just amazes me how many, how, how easy it is for them to say one sentence. Like, yeah, we can do that. Or send an invoice, send an estimate for $30,000 and then twiddle their thumbs waiting for that customer to get back to them. Yeah. Well, I guess he doesn't want the job. And I'm like, I guess you don't want the job. Like that's not sales. Like you got to meet him when he's ready. Like keep calling him. hundred percent. I worked for a company for years. I was the last place I worked before I started this business and they are a trucking and excavation company. And the owner uh, is the, one of the nicest people I know, salt of the earth guy, just a genuinely decent human being, but doesn't answer his phone. People, people call and, and either he doesn't pick up or he picks up and says, hello. And it's like, right. dude, who, who are you? Like, what are, you know, there's, there's, it's just so easy to go above that. You know, it takes so little effort to improve on that, that I don't understand why people don't do it. And if you want to act, if you want to be that way and have like your voicemail generic and all that, perfect. Then have a, then have a company phone, but it's the guys that don't have a company phone. Like I worked with a guy in Idaho, his name's Tyler. He'll laugh and I'll tell him about this, but they do $3 million a year in like dairy processing builds, the barns, the pads, the water, all of it. Right. His yeah. damn voicemail wasn't set up for two years. Like if you called him, you could not leave him a voicemail. <laughs> like how do you run a $3 million business with no voicemail? I, I think in this industry, there's a lot of people who are so well established that marketing is like barely on their radar. Um, and that's where a lot of the opportunity is, the customer experience and the marketing. You know, the big companies here in my town are all 20 plus year companies. Most of them are 50 plus year companies. Like the, the three kind of big names were all established in the 50s or 60s. Like they've been around for a long time. So for them, marketing is a secondary consideration because they're going for high dollar municipal jobs and high dollar commercial jobs. They're plugged yeah. into developers. And so you know, to come change, to come install a hedge or a water line or whatever, like it's not that they wouldn't do it, it's that they wouldn't invest in getting that job. Right. But their marketing is more towards networking and relationship mm -hmm. management. I mean, it's still marketing. Like marketing mm -hmm. is such a broad term, it catches all of it, right? Yeah. But they're not running Facebook ads. They don't have a crazy call to action on their website because they're working hand in hand. So, you know, you, you kind of switch from marketing to branding in that point to make sure that your brand stays on point yeah. and your networking relationships stay on point. Yeah, I, I've just found that in most small to medium towns, there's a huge amount of opportunity uh, with marketing alone. You know, take the customer experience stuff out of it. But we have a, a client who we started working with about, uh, I want to say two years ago now. And he was established, 
uh, but not um, the main name, you know. And and in two years, uh, he's just dominated search and 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 grown uh, exponentially. And you know, it's just interesting to me. There's so many established companies that if they spent the money and directed the effort, could absolutely decimate um, a smaller business like this guy. But they just don't because they but, don't need to or they don't want to or whatever. I think it's mindset, right? Like these guys are very comfortable dropping a hundred thousand dollars on a piece of equipment because they can see it touch it feel it they own it mm -hmm. you know so like i i know guys that have seven eight thousand dollars a month in payments between all their equipment as they're growing and scaling their business and they balk at spending a thousand or fifteen hundred dollars a month to hire a marketing professional and i'm like well how do you keep the machines busy if you don't market yeah and and i see the same thing all the time and so that's yeah. too much money well i i like to dig into that if it's somebody that i have a bit of rapport with i like to mm -hmm. just start peeling that out. well what is too much money how many dollars is too many is 800 dollars too many how did you come up with that number how much should a marketing person make how much is each lead worth and because it falls apart pretty fast right at the end of the day what what is too much money for you is just a something that you just came up with right it, it doesn't my value is not dictated by how much you think is too much money to spend on something right but i mean again like like for you like if you said hey we'll create you a 10-page website we'll have the automation for the lead forms to notify you of this we'll automatically import it into a software so you can manage those customers it'll link to this we'll make sure that you're ranked on page one of google maps and google business profile this there right we'll manage a small brand campaign for Google Google paid ads for different specific keywords for the services you want to offer. We guarantee this and we'll make sure this and that you're you'll have 30 phone calls a month. Is that worth fifteen hundred dollars? Like that's like that's outlining the value instead of just saying, yeah, we do it for fifteen yeah. hundred. It's like, hey, do 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 is that worth fifteen hundred dollars to you? And if they say uh yeah, then like what's the hold up? Like we've yeah. outlined the value. People have a lot of preconceived notions. I, I think that with my experience, they they don't really understand what digital marketing is. So yeah. not just not just ads and websites and SEO and all that stuff. I mean, that's Mandarin to a lot of contractors. But then you take the uh, the lead flow and the and the like. A lot of guys they don't know what every lead is worth or what the value of every job is worth. So. Um, if if I'm working with somebody and they say, "Wow, well, you know, this is getting expensive." Well, what is expensive? What does that mean? So right. if you have if you get a job that's a one day job, whatever it is, you're doing a bit of recreating, you're fixing a driveway, installing a pad, something small, you're gonna charge your one day rate, which is call it twelve hundred bucks, doesn't matter. So how much can you afford to have paid to get that client, right? And and these are the things. This is where it all starts to fall apart. As I this is where I really see that the business education that you that you're giving people is is necessary, right? Because they don't often know these numbers. Mm -hmm. No, they don't know the numbers at all. And like, here's the old story, Mike. Right? Like, whoever can afford to pay the most to get the customer's attention wins. Yeah, yeah, that's the truth. And in my experience, it's seldom the loudest uh, <laughs> the loudest noises that are that are doing the good jobs. Right. So. But like, like, if you showed a contractor, hey, we're gonna you can take one dollar. And I'm going to give you five back during the month. You know, like what would you do with the the four dollar profit? You know, they'd be like, oh, I would start saving it for the machine or this. And I bet me, I'd be like, I'm giving it right back to you. Here's five, make me twenty five, and then I'm going to give you twenty five, make me one hundred twenty five. You know, like. 
but that's what that's what marketing is like you need to find a system that consistently gives you a return whether it's a 2x 3x 10x and then yeah. put as much money into it i find that a lot of um a lot of contractors are kind of jaded with it because they get these phone calls and not going to name anybody, but you know, I, I get the calls. You, you probably get them. Everybody gets them, right? Well, I'll get you this many leads. And they're, they're, yeah. they're not even like, they don't even take three minutes to try and understand who you are and what your business does. But it's, it's just a, it's a warehouse based sales team that, that, that is just hammering phone calls all the time. So guys go, Oh, well, that's only, 500 bucks a month. That's a great deal. Right. But they don't, um, maybe vet this, these companies, and then they are overwhelmingly disappointed. And then they develop the opinion that all marketing guys are shysters right. and, and marketing is, is not to be trusted when really it's quite the opposite. Um, but the biggest companies are just doing such a poor job of it that there's, there's a huge amount of room for, uh, people like me and, and other companies like phaser marketing who does a lot of excavation marketing to come in and provide an experience that is just so far above you know yeah yeah i mean again like and i always take that like when i hear those stories from company owners i i stop and i change direction i'm like listen time out so you're telling me a company called you didn't ask any questions about your business and then offered to get you so many leads They're like yeah and i'm like so when you go do an estimate, do you start talking about your business and the services you provide or asking the customer about what they need and what their problems are and how you can be, you know, like why they're doing the work? And they look at me like, oh, and I'm like, you're doing the same thing just to a different market. Yeah. You just get so yeah. excited to talk about yourself. Like we forget about the customer at the end. Yeah. No, you, you obviously have a really good read on this stuff. Um, circling back to your uh, business consulting, what does that look like? How do you identify people who can use that service? Uh, is it primarily people who call for attachments? And what does that process actually look like if, if a guy who's ambitious or a girl uh, wants to kind of work on their business skills? What's what's the flow there for uh, for somebody to come into that program with you? Yeah, so we have a website. We actually run it separate from Skid Steer Nation. It's actually called Groundbreaking Growth. So groundbreakinggrowth.com, it kind of outlines the whole philosophy and mindset that I have to growing a business, like defining it, profiting from it, and then learning how to scale it. Um, you can set up, schedule a time to speak, and you, you can schedule a time to set up a call to learn more about it. And you actually speak with me. I don't have anyone else take those calls. Um, and then we start looking at it. So our goal is to have like online videos, small segmented things broken out by marketing sales estimates um, office management you know so it's easy so when you're having issues with your business you can just go to the video library see that any resources we have attached okay. to it you can go from there too and then we have group coaching calls and right now we're actually starting next monday we're starting a, a six-week sprint program so instead of having all of this information it's like hey let's let's distill it down to like give you the most bang for your buck and things to work on over the winter so you hit next spring running i like that yeah are you are you actively taking on new clients into that program right now yeah so we'll, i think we're gonna keep continue we're gonna try this first cohort and see how it goes for a week or two but yeah we'll just probably just launch another one right okay. after that so if, you, if they're interested they can just go fill out the you go to groundbreaking growth and schedule time to speak with me 
But a majority of our clients come from my podcast. Like we don't do a lot of active marketing for the coaching and consulting business at the moment. Yeah. Well, your podcast is, uh, is, is interesting because your podcast is, um, podcast marketing is, is new to me. Podcasting is new to me. This is, I think I told you before we started recording, this is my 10th, uh, recorded episode. So, and the first video one, so well, hopefully it's going well. Congratulations. Um, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> but your podcast, you're, you, you, it's, it's primarily adding value rather than, I, I think a podcast about how great your attachments are would fall apart pretty quick. You know, oh. like your, your first, um, priority seems to be to go and put value out to the industry. And maybe that's what attracts people to you. Do you find that? I think you're right. In fact, it, I, I just had a guest, my, my first guest I ever had on the podcast, his name's Eric. He called me last night and he was just like, man, I've had two people this week reach out to me and find me on Facebook because they heard my interview with you and they want me to talk to them and give them some guidance. Because something about his interview resonated with them. I think they were all in law enforcement. Okay. So it's it's cool to see that side of it too, right? Um, but yeah, you can't, it's gotta be two way. Like you have to provide value and good content. Somebody has to be able to walk away from everything you do with, with some, like some little nugget that goes, Oh, I can try that in my business, especially yeah. if this is the type of podcast we're going to be on. So to just sit here and talk about, <laughs> Oh, this attachment's great. You can do it to this. Like it. Yeah. Boring. Right. You're going to listen to it for two yeah. minutes and you're out on to the next one. Yeah. I think people connect with people and ideas. Oh. Um, more than with like, uh, I don't want to say a topic, but something very, very specific, you know, like I, you and I can sit here and cover like a range of topics and, and just keep going. But uh, if, you, if you're sort of hyper-focused on one thing, it's, I don't know, it, maybe there's a space for that, but. I mean, but, but like Mike, think about it. If, if you were in the middle of getting a divorce, like mentally you have that, oh my God, I can't believe I'm getting a divorce. I'm a failure. My, I can't make my relationship work. Even though 75% of all marriages end in divorce, like you should know, like there's a high probability. So when you get around other people that are either going through a divorce or just got out of a divorce, like you instantly calm down because you realize you're not alone. Yeah. Right. Like we always make it about ourselves and we get, we get in our own heads in our own way. So I think as business owners to be able to listen to a podcast where you get to hear the struggles and the, and the, and the successes of other business owners, either, excuse me, at your level behind you or ahead of you. It just makes yeah. you realize that, oh, I got this. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. And and I think that focusing on giving something away, uh, for me, that has been how my business has grown. Uh, yeah. When I when I first started this, uh, this is kind of an interesting story. I, I started, um, I want to say, oh boy, end of 2019. Um, and I came out the gate and I joined a big Facebook group and I messaged the owner, who's a, a guy that you may be familiar with, Evan Zemer. And I said, uh, hey, I, I, I'm marketing, you know, I, I specialize in this industry. I worked in this industry for 15 years. I'd love to, uh, I'd love to be able to talk, talk about what I do in your group. And he was like, no, <laughs> that's reasonable. <laughs> so, so I actually spent, uh, no, this is, this is 20. This is 2021. Excuse me, I'm getting mixed up. COVID just paused my whole existence for, for a couple of years. But uh, so anyway, I, I just spent a few months chiming in. Um, not put my hand up. Here I am. Everybody look at me. But just here's something you might want to consider. Check this out. Here's an option for you. And and he he ended up hiring 
uh, us to do a bit of work for him uh, about six months later. And now um, he's been on my podcast. He's becoming a friend. And it's because I I started the relationship with 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 that value, you know, uh, yeah. rather than and, and he kind of forced that, you know, I, I'm so glad that he didn't go. Yeah, get in there. Put your hand up. Tell everybody you do marketing, because if, if he'd done that, I wouldn't have learned that lesson. I wouldn't have learned that I you have to go value first. You have to. And I have gotten so much business out of that group from not from when I go in and post a project and say, hey, check out a website we just built. Never. No, nothing. But I, I get people who, who reach out to me and go, hey, I've, I've noticed over the last several months that you chime in every time there's a marketing question and you seem to be the go-to guy. So let's chat about that. And and that value first is is quickly becoming my mantra. It's quickly becoming just the, the way that I really think everything in business needs to be approached. Yeah. I'll never forget because like my I started my business life at 25 when I bought my first live music nightclub because so I was I came from a bar and restaurant background in college and um, I'll never forget when the radio station representative told me it takes 13 times for somebody to remember your message on the radio mm. so I've always taken that approach of like how do we hit them enough times at different medians so they can actually remember us yeah so it's like we're a big proponent of like the Facebook and youtube and now the podcast and some ads and email marketing because it's like we've got to make sure we get the 13 touch points and meet them where they want it and i think a lot of business owners they run one post on facebook they put a hundred dollars behind it and they go facebook ads sucks we didn't get anything but they're never I texting actually, and crying and and you know <clears throat> i talked with a guy and and we had that exact conversation now i personally i don't i don't really work much on social media ads. I don't, I don't love as, as a lead generation platform. That's just me. Um, as, sorry, as a paid lead generation platform. But but this guy was, uh, it did exactly that. He took $39 and, and put it into Facebook ads. I didn't get a single lead from that. This is garbage. And it's like, well, there's so many, like there's hundreds of variables, you know, in targeting and and copy and photos and, and your follow-up and all these different things, right? But yeah, you, you can't be so quick to write things off. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> but I just, I'll never forget like the 13 times to remember something. So, and then I, then I, then later with a coach, cause I buy coaching for myself every year too. So I, I don't, I don't only offer it as a service. Like I invested, like we typically spend 10 to $15,000 a year on my business coaching and my personal coaching a year. But a guy told me wow. it's a seven hour rule. Like somebody needs to spend seven hours with you in order to trust you. And I, I, it made sense, right? And here's, I'll tell you this, like when somebody calls me about the coaching program and it comes out of Facebook, like it's very guarded, it's hesitant. The conversations, you know, it's not natural. It's like, it's okay, you're selling me. I'm going to fight this. If somebody's listened to my podcast and listened to multiple episodes, they sell themselves during the conversation on the service. Like they, they've already committed, like before we've even met, they feel like they know me. Because if they've listened to 13 episodes of your show, they've already had 13 exposures to you, right? Correct. 13. Yeah. And that's 13 yeah. hours. So if they listen to seven episodes, that's seven hours of me in their ear. They, they've, they've developed a relationship with me, even though we've never met. I'm both shocked and not surprised at all that it's that high. It's, it's weird because I, oh, my doorbell's ringing. They'll go away. <laughs> um, it's, <laughs> it's, it's odd that, 
it's not odd, but it just it catches me off guard that it takes that many exposures to somebody to uh, to develop trust. And yet, I I'm very untrusting as a person. I it takes me a long time to uh, establish rapport to the point where I'm willing to uh, to invest with somebody. So that's interesting, and I guess that speaks to kind of having other mediums too. Like I hear guys talking about billboards and facebook ads and google ads and you know banners hanging behind airplanes and all this stuff and i guess you know every exposure is a potential uh brand brand awareness uh win yeah i I, i'll tell you what i'm a huge proponent of finding there's enough people and enough business out there that if you pick one strategy and get really 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 good at it Mm -hmm. you'll make a lot more money than being okay at seven different strategies I like that. Yeah. So you know, if you're going to commit to Facebook ads, then don't worry about Google. Don't worry about LinkedIn. Don't worry about billboards down the street, right? Like spend your time on Facebook ads. Yeah. And if you're going to do like Google marketing, shopping, retargeting, all those different ads, then just focus and dial in on that. Yeah. You know, and especially if you're doing it alone, right? Because I just don't think the average person has the capacity to learn all of those things well um like i i have people for google ads i have people for design like i i don't i'm not i know more about google ads than the average person i do manage campaigns but you know and and that's like i this is my business right this is this is my whole life is marketing and and i would say that there are areas i am an expert in seo but there are areas where you know, and so you take that, you take a person who's running a skid series eight hours a day, and then you also throw, you know, Google ads and branding and, yeah. and websites and all this. It's too much. And so I learned from, you ever heard of Pat Flynn? He's a well-known online marketer. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. He had, uh, what was it called? That's, I'm going to remember it the second, uh, the second. Uh, anyway, he always had this thing where it was like, be everywhere, be everywhere, you know, be on Instagram, be on Facebook, be on YouTube, be on a podcast, be here, be there, be here, be there. Uh, but I think for the average person, what you're saying makes a lot more sense to me. Get really, really dialed in uh, to one thing. And this is maybe somewhere where when you're coaching people in business, that it's, it's it shouldn't be hard to peel apart where their clients are coming from and, right. and drill, that, drill into that. Where did your last 10 clients come from? Well, they called me off of Google. Okay, so maybe Google's where we're going to invest our effort instead of going yeah, well. Yeah, and then like we're working with a guy right now, and he was just like, "Yeah, I got." It. He's like, "I've got it set up so that every time someone goes to my website, I get a notification." And I was like, "One, impressive that you did that. Two, no, thank you. Like, you know, my phone would be going ding, ding, ding." But anyway, like he's like, "Yeah, but we have a lot of traffic, but nobody ever contacts me through my website." And I looked at his website, and I'm like. You don't have a call to action button on your website anywhere. Yeah. There's no way for like you've created a friction. And, and that's my favorite word with people is friction. Like if there's friction in a process, you're not going to get an end result that's good. Mm-hmm. And that brings us back to Amazon, right? How easy right. is it? How easy have they made it to buy from them? I mean, you can be sitting anywhere in your house with or without clothes on and hit buy now. And and let's be honest, typically without. Yeah. <laughs> or around your ankles. <laughs> to, the, to the point, they're so good at this that 
companies are using the color of the Amazon buy button. Have you heard about this? I, like marketing companies are, they're designing websites so that I do you it. do it. Okay. I Interesting. It. Because people are so conditioned yeah. um, to buy in their underwear. Uh, sorry uh, to yeah. pick that button that, uh, that, that, that the psychological advantage there is, is people are going to be more likely to buy for this trust associated with that particular color code. Yeah. So remove friction. Yeah. And like we've actually been exploring and like, I'm, I'm not a website builder. I don't know the HTML code and all that. I'm not ready to invest in it, but like I've started thinking about redoing the whole layout of the skid steer nation website to mimic Amazon. <clears throat> Interesting. You know, I, I would love that. to see that as an A/B test, right? Um, like, like serve a different version of the site to some people and just see what that looks like. See how different how how differently people behave on a site that looks like Amazon. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe even you know maybe even that's like you know you wouldn't use their their name but be the Amazon of of skinsier attachments. Kind right, of but thing. it doesn't even have to like be identical. Or someone's like, God, that looks just like yeah. Amazon. But like the product placement should be in the same top left corner. The description should be narrow paragraph on the right. The buy now button, like that's my number one thing when I tell anybody in business, like don't reinvent the wheel. Go find people that are being successful, whether it's in your niche or a different niche, and just mimic. Don't copy. Mimic what's working. Mm. I love that. Well, um, I hate to to kind of shorten this. I'd love to keep going, Ryan, but I'm, well, we can I'm we can do a part one and a part two, Mike. We can keep going. And I'd love time. it. Yeah, I'd love it. Let's do that. I'd love to get you back on, and I think we are gonna gonna put this up in video just because this is awesome. this is great. Uh, I love this format. So, um, Ryan is uh, he's been doing this a long time, and I'm learning stuff from Ryan as I go. I've been on his podcast and learned from him, so. Uh, he's a great resource uh, for everybody listening uh, in the unlikely scenario that you have not had any previous exposure to Ryan. Um, hit him up at skidsteernation.com or where where else would you have people follow you, Ryan? Um, yeah, you, Skid Steer Nation, whether it be on social media, the website, and then Groundbreaking Growth, groundbreakinggrowth.com. Groundbreaking Growth. So, okay, guys. And then for Mike, uh, your listeners, if you're on the fence, not only do I think Mike's very good at marketing, but I've also referred him some of our clients to do marketing for them. So a little plug for Mike and his business for me. Well, I sure appreciate that, Ryan. Thank you. And uh, yeah, we did actually just recently have a referral that turned into a job from Ryan. So thank you so much for that. Uh, and, and this is, to me, this is what it's all about, you know, just this collaboration and working with people in the industry. Yeah. I love this stuff. So uh, thank you for that. Check us both out. I'm at rankmaster.ca. Um, and yeah, it's been a pleasure having you on, Ryan. I enjoyed yeah, this I, time. I always enjoy talking to you, time. Mike, whether it's recorded I, or not. You know, sometimes you finish and you're like, yep, that's done. But I, with you, I kind of feel like I just want to keep going for another for another hour or two. So we'll, uh, we'll do this again. It sounds great, my friend. Well, thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Sounds good, Ryan. Thanks for being here.